And good morning again. All right, if you want to go ahead and mark in your hymnals, number 358, Where He Leads Me, we'll use the first and the third verse of this hymn for our uh, invitation this morning. And certainly it's good to be here. Good to see everybody out this morning. Good to have you with us. And if you are logged in or logging in to Facebook or watching later on YouTube, we certainly want to welcome you uh, as well. And uh, good to have you with us. And uh, always a privilege to share God's Word with you. Well, I suppose by now with all of the protesting and such that's going on, we, we you've heard about the protests from the professional athletes uh, during the national anthem uh, of our uh, country at the beginning of these ball games. So, uh, Austin, if you could advance the slide for me, please. They say they're not protesting the flag, but they say they're protesting oppression. Well, if it were not about the flag, and if it were not about the national anthem or our nation, why do they not do it at another time, is the way I look at it. I would have no problem if they wanted to set aside uh, a time either before our national anthem or after our national anthem to observe a moment of silence. If they want to take a knee, uh, that's fine. They're welcome to kneel uh, then. But since it does happen during the national anthem, as an American and a veteran, uh, I take offense to it. And that's okay. Uh, it seems like we all are easily offended today. Uh, but I don't take offense to it personally, but I think uh, because of something I've done personally, but because of all the men and women before me that fought and died and left a little piece of themselves on a battlefield somewhere uh, to protect those freedoms is who I take offense for. Uh, so I've decided if they can take their stand and, and uh, and kneel during our national anthem, I can take my stand and just not watch sports. And, and that's what I'm going to do. And, and I'm sure they're not quaking in their cleats or tennis shoes because I'm not going to watch them. And, and, uh, and that's fine. But uh, it has to start somewhere. But I wanted, I put these three pictures up here. If you happen to notice, there's Cincinnati Reds, uh, who uh, there wasn't a bigger fan uh, than, than I was. Uh, from the, I can't never remember not being a Cincinnati Reds fan. And then you see some New York Yankees over here as well. And this picture here at the bottom was taken during the same game, and that's the San Francisco Giants. Every player and coach on the Yankees and Giants field kneeled except for one. His name is Sam Coonrod. He's from uh, Carrollton, Illinois, a little town of about 2,500 people that has eight churches and he says that I can kneel before no one but God. And because of that, I wanted to give him some notoriety today because he's a Christian that took his stand. And I pray, and I encourage you to pray, and those that are watching to pray, that nothing comes to, of this to Sam because he took a stand, that he doesn't somehow magically get cut, sent down to the minors, or, or something goes wrong uh, with his career. And we need to lift Christians up that are taking a stand like that and uh, support them. Uh, so certainly uh, I wanted to do that because not every one of them uh, knelt. And you can see that with the Reds picture too. Not all of them knelt. Some of them did and some of them didn't. But let's support those that stand for the right reasons. Okay? And I'm not saying that there's, they don't have a legitimate reason that... 
uh, they feel like that they need to, to protest. I'm not discounting that at all, but it's just the wrong time that they're choosing to do that. It's time also that we as a people, we as citizens of this country, and really this, we as people of this world, this earth, choose our side. And that's the name of this morning's sermon. It's time to choose a side. For far too long, we've rode the fence, trying to kind of get the best of both worlds. And I'm here to tell you the time has come, just like with Sam, the time has come that we took a stand and chose which side that we were on. Turn with me, if you will, this morning in the Bible to Matthew chapter 5, verse 37. We're going to, we're going to look at a lot of scripture this morning, scripture reference in uh, support of this plea to take a stand. And Jesus speaking here in Matthew 5, 37 says this, But let your communications be yea, yea, and nay, nay. For whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. And that's pretty simple to understand. As Christians, if we answer a question yes, the truth is it is yes. And if Christians, we answer a question no, it is no. In other words, we're choosing to be honest in what our communication is. And Jesus says anything else other than that cometh of evil. So we as Christians have to decide what we are, whose we are, and how we're going to represent that. If we're going to be yes or no and mean what we say. And it's a good thing that, that God uh, is, uh, is that way. Yes is yes, no is no. Because when God speaks, when God's word speaks, it is the truth. And he means it. And that's what I want to look at. I want to look at some truths this morning. We're going to start with some of these are going to be very familiar to you, and some of them maybe not so much. And I did that on purpose so that we could get a, a broader view. But in Genesis chapter 3, uh, you may recall a man and a woman called Adam and Eve. And God had placed them in the Garden of Eden, and he said in verse 3, or verse 4 rather, 3 and 4 and 5, of, the, of uh, chapter 3, he said this, But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, You shall not eat there of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent, and of course this is uh, Eve talking to uh, the serpent whenever they're being tempted. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day that you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. God placed them in, in Eden, in paradise, gave them access to the whole garden, but one place. They were aware of that place, right? They knew, God had told them, partake in anything. This, the whole, you've got to run of the whole place except the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Leave it alone. And what happened? What did they do? They both partook of it. I'm not going to place any blame uh, on anybody. Okay, who, who got it first and who, who eat it second? They both knew it was wrong and they both partook in that. And what did it cost them? What did that temptation that they were not able to overcome or would not overcome and the devil's temptation, what did it cost them? 
God said they would die. Verse 22 and 23 of Genesis chapter 3. Sorry. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us to know good and evil now, lest he put forth his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden till the ground to till the ground from whence he was taken. Driven out, wasn't it? We know that story. We've all probably seen the pictures, probably in maybe some of your older Bibles that are illustrated, Adam and Eve walking out against a, a, a great force pushing them out of, the, out of the garden. But they were expelled from Eden. They were expelled from the perfect place that God had prepared them to work and to toil, as it says, the ground from whence they had come. Separated forever from God. And we don't we, we have a little bit of of idea of what that is when we pray, that they had communion, they communicated with God. But it's different because they were in the presence of God. So what it cost them was much greater. It's important for us to remember what Isaiah said in, in chapter fifty nine, if you will, Isaiah fifty nine verses one and two. And here's something that we need to, and I think that we need to, to know today. Because of the despair and, and the concern and the, and the worry that we are experiencing as individuals and communities and a nation, listen to what Isaiah records. He said, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Sound familiar? If my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. And that's what we have to realize and understand. Sin has always separated man from God, even till today. But that doesn't mean that God suddenly is powerless to save us. Or that God suddenly can't hear us in our prayers. If that's the problem, it's because we have a sin problem. Not because God has a problem. Because God gives us instructions on what we should do. God makes a way on salvation. And that's what we have to understand. That we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But also the hope of that is that God should, wishes that none should perish. And that's me paraphrasing. I didn't, uh, I didn't find the picture last night when I was putting the PowerPoint together. I think it was on Facebook. And I didn't even open the article to read what it was. But there was a young woman that had a sign up that said, Going to hell and proud of it. And you could see that there was two or three other signs the same way. Going to hell and proud of it. That can, that's a statement that only can be made out of ignorance. That they have no idea what it means to go to hell. That they have no idea what it means to be eternally and forever separated from the presence and grace and love and mercy of God. 
And I preached a few weeks ago about Lazarus. Remember being in the, in the bosom of Abraham and the rich man that was cast down into hell. And, and we've, we've all studied it and know about it. And how he wanted, it was so bad. His torment was so bad that he just wanted someone to wet the tip of their finger and touch his tongue for relief. And I can't imagine how bad that is. But going to hell and proud. And you don't think that we as a nation don't need to choose a side. Because there are people in this nation choosing a side right now. And we have to choose ours. Turn with me over to Leviticus now. We'll see another example uh, about God and, and instructions really. Because we've determined here that we've all sinned because we're all the seed of Adam and Eve. Now let's look at God's instructions that he gives a couple of young men, Nadab and Abihu. Chapter 1, verse 7. And this, and this is the instructions now that God is giving. And the sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put the fire upon the altar and lay the wood in order upon the fire. That's real plain, simple. Who and what and where. Okay. Now, over in chapter 6, Verse 13, the fire shall ever be burning upon the altar. It shall never go out. So that's something that they're supposed, it's always supposed to be, to be burning. And then move over to chapter uh, 16, 12 and 13. And he shall take a censer full of burning coals from the fire off the altar before the Lord and his hands full of sweet incense beaten small and bring it within the veil and he shall put the incense upon the fire before the Lord that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that it is upon the testimony that he die not. Now, that's showing what this fire, the importance of this fire is for. It's for the worship of God and acceptable worship. Now look at chapter uh, 10 verses 1 and 2. And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them the, his censer and put fire therein and put incense thereon of the offering, strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. And there went out from out fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. What was they thinking? They had plain and simple instructions. It was laid out what they were supposed to do, where they were supposed to do it, how long the fire was supposed to be burned, and what manner it was supposed to be done, and they knew why. And that's why we looked over on the back part there in 16. We knew why. It was for the, the worship of the Lord, the acceptable worship of the Lord. And they, they did not follow the instructions, did they? They decided they were going to do something a little different. It's just fire, right? Fire is fire. Not to God. Fire is not fire to God. And it costs Nadab and Abihu. God gives us instructions to follow. God gives us instructions to follow, and it's called the Bible. We follow what the Bible says. Not what Rob says. Not my interpretation of the Bible. What God's Word says, so that we can understand it, so we can all be on the, the same page, so to speak. 
And when we start deviating from God's word, when we start deviating from God's truth, then we, as I said a few weeks ago, we fracture ourselves. And then there's where we have division. But the most important thing that we realize is, just like Nadab in the bayou, do you want to stand before God thinking that your worship that you have offered is acceptable to him and to find out that it's wrong and that you didn't follow his instructions? And we're, this is, Stay with me. We're getting there. Second Kings, another one that you may be familiar with. A man by the name of Naaman, chapter 5. Naaman was a captain of the host of the king of Syria. He was a great man with his master and honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. So he was a good guy. Had a lot going for him. But he also had leprosy. And uh, that was a problem. Now there was a young lady of Israel uh, that had been taken captive by Syria and, and served Naaman's wife. And the maid told uh, her mistress, or Naaman's wife, that Elisha the prophet could cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went with letters of authority from the king and, and, that, uh, and headed to Israel. And Elisha heard of this matter. Let's look at verses 7 and 8. And it came to pass when the king of Israel had read the letter that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man doth send me unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore, consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. And it was so that when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Now read just a little further with me, verse 10. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. So he made the effort to come from Syria down to uh, Israel to get cleansed of this disease of leprosy, which was a scourge at that time. There was no cure for it. No medicines that you could take for it. So he does that, and the king of Israel gets upset because he's there. I'm not God, he says, to heal people. Elisha says, let him come in so that he will know. And he gets this letter, and he sends a messenger to him. Go and wash in the Jordan seven times. Not once, not ten, seven. Seven times, and you will be clean. Rid of this disease. Look at what... The result of this is, but Naaman was wroth and went away and said, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place that recover the leper and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Farfar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Give him a cure, but he didn't want to do it, did he? Rivers back home are cleaner than this river. Why couldn't I just wash up there? 
Because that's not what God instructed you to do. To wash in a river in Syria. He instructed you through Elisha to wash in the Jordan. And you would be made clean. He was too good to wash down there. He was too good to bow himself before God. He was too good to follow God's instructions. So he went away mad and a leper. Now that's a pretty big choice. Instead of obedience, he chose to just walk away with leprosy. Instead of being grateful, he chose to downgrade the river of uh, Jordan uh, and preferred his own country. You see where this is going? That we can, we can get a plain, simple instruction from God and it may not agree with us. So what we do, we take our pride and we take our sin and we take our salvation or that may not have that salvation and we walk off from God. Because I don't agree with what God's word says because I, I don't think I should have to do that. Why couldn't I do something else? Why couldn't I just say I believe in God and I'm good? Why shouldn't I be able to just call upon the name of the Lord and I'll be saved? That's what the Bible says. Because that's not what God's full instructions was. If he wanted him just to bathe in a river in Syria, he would have said go home and bathe in one of those rivers in Syria. It was the full instructions. And thank goodness, as we look in verses 13 and 14, And his servant came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee to do some great thing, would thou not have done it? How much rather then when he saith to thee, Wash and be clean. And he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Thank goodness somebody spoke a little common sense to him. And sometimes that's what it takes for us, is someone just to speak a little common sense. God made obedience to his word simple. Are we like Naaman, that it would rather be hard? Something that we really have to work for? All right, to be saved, you have to be able to run two miles in under 14 minutes. Then you'd have to start what? Getting ready, losing weight, getting in shape, start running, tell everybody how you're training to, to earn your salvation. And there would be people out there doing it. But isn't it much simpler just to accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, repent of our sins, confess Jesus as Lord, be baptized, raised that new creation, having received the gift of the Holy Spirit and forgiveness of our sins and live faithful until death? That's pretty simple, just like he told Naaman. If he told you to do something great, you would have done it. But why won't you do the simplest things to receive that? And that's what we have to get in our own set of, in our own train of thought. God's word is not hard to understand. He didn't make it difficult for us to follow. He made it easy to do. The problem that we have is overcoming ourselves, just like Naaman. He was too good to do something simple to be cleansed of leprosy. He was too... He too important. It should have been something great and grand that he should have had to have done. But that's the beauty of God's word. That's the beauty of the salvation through Jesus Christ. It's simple. It just requires us to do something, which is obey. If we follow those instructions, power wasn't in the water. Power's with the God. Rob, you've given me stuff all from the Old Testament. I did. 
except for one, and I didn't put any slides up there, but we remember a man and woman named Ananias and Sapphira. In the book of Acts, chapter 5, first 11 verses, this can be your homework for you uh, to go home and read this and study up on this. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, you'll read about a man named Ananias and his wife, Sapphira. They were uh, part of the, the first groups of the building of the church. They were selling off property to give that money to help fund those that needed money, other Christians. And they had pledged a certain amount of money. And when time came to, to give that money after they'd sold their property, they came and decided, I'm going to hold some of that back. I'm going to hold some of that back. No one will ever know but me and my wife. And he discounted one person, God. They discounted one person. He and his wife, because when he came, Paul, uh, Peter confronted him, rather, Peter confronted him and about his lie, about his deceit, and he fell dead. And you'll read in the story that just a, a short time later after that, his wife came, she concurred with what her husband, so they conspired in their actions, and she fell dead. And that should be a reminder to us that we can be a Christian on the outside, we can tell people what we know we're going to do, but God knows what's on the inside. And we'll never be able to fool him about our relationship and our dedication. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, he said this right here. Chapter 3. Talking about the baptism, Jesus didn't actually say this. God said this. That uh, when Jesus was baptized and raised from the water, uh, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. We're to follow his voice. He's the Son of God. And to proclaim anything else would be making God a liar. And Jesus became, being the Son of God, he came to give us, because he has the authority to teach, he came to give us the path and the way to walk and to treat one another and to, most importantly, serve and obey God. And if we disobey the word of Jesus, if we disobey the teachings of Christ, then we are disobeying directly the word of God. And that's what it talks about obedience. Just remember about Aaron's son. But let's look over uh, in Romans because I wanted to give you the New Testament backing up of this, these statements too. Romans chapter 6, verses 16, 17, and 18. And this applies probably to our nation as, as good as any scripture you can today. Know you not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey whether of sin unto death or unto obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that you were the servants, once the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you, being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. Who we serve, we obey. If we serve the world, if we serve our own lusts, if we serve our own desires above that of God's, then we are of the devil. 
period. And that's what Jesus is saying. Or that's what Paul is writing to the church at Rome. And if we're striving to serve and, and serve righteousness and serve God through Christ's example, then we are of God. And I'll go on and further back that up as well. And if we sin, he says, we can expect death. But if we serve God, we can expect life. Salvation, Acts 2, 41. Today, I guess there's a lot of conflict. And I guess there always has been as long as man's been preaching Jesus Christ as Savior about the views on salvation. And I'm not going to try to cover that. I'm going to point out Acts chapter 2, verse 41. And everybody's saying, well, what about 238? 238. Well, 238 is important. But 241 gives a whole kind of a short overview of the successful preaching and what happens when people uh, are converted. 241. Then they that gladly received the word were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So what happened there? Somebody had to preach, right? So preaching, they had to do what? They heard it. And once they were heard, they what? They believed it. And it says they gladly received the word, and that caused them to confess and repent. And upon that repentance, what happened? The baptized. What day was it they were baptized? The same day they were baptized, and the, the church was increased by about 3,000. They lived faithful until death, too. How do you know that, Rob? Or I don't know that they did until death, but they continued on faithful because I don't have a... Well, look on in your Bibles with me. 42. And then what did they do? And they continued steadfastly in apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. That's a result of salvation. They continued in something. They received it, and then they continued on in it. And they didn't continue on in some other uh, Joe Blow's doctrine. They continued on in the disciples' doctrine. And that's what we have to do today. We have to make sure that we stick close Close as we can, close as humanly possible to the doctrine of the disciples, which is the doctrine of Jesus Christ. That's the, that's the call for the churches. That's how we all come back in unity and get out of this fractured state that we're in. We say, okay, the doctrine of Jesus Christ, which is the doctrine of the apostles, is the one that we will follow. That's it. Because it's right there. And it produces salvation. What the Bible tells us. And God means what he says. And here's the thing that we seem to be missing. Today as much as anything. And I don't mean to do anything but inform. I'm not trying to scare anybody. I don't think uh, God would have uh, anyone accept Christ through fear. Because some preacher tried to scare them. And that's not my intent. My intent is to inform you that you're informed. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 through 46. Matthew 25, verse 31 through 46. And listen closely to what he says here. This is Jesus speaking. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations... And he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. 
Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was a hungered, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee a hungered, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto you? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Pay attention. Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was an hungered, and you gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you took me not in. Naked, and you clothed me not. Sick, and in prison, and you visited me not. Then shall they answer unto him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee a hungered, or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you did it not, to one of the least of these you did it not unto me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. That's the words of Jesus Christ. And I'll, I read them. And that's pretty simple to understand, isn't it? When Christians, and this is a familiar thing, when Christians do what Christians are supposed to be doing, when we act the way we're supposed to act, when we treat people the way we're supposed to treat people, then we're pleasing servants to God and we will be welcomed in for that inheritance which had been laid since the foundation of the world, Jesus said. But when we are a goat, when we are like Ananias and Sapphira, just on the outside, when we're like Nadab in the bayou and we just uh, we want to do it our own way because we didn't want to follow the instructions. When we're like Naaman and decide, hey, I'm just going to do it my way because I'm too good to do it this way to humble myself. Give me some great thing I have to do instead of getting salvation or cleansed from the Lord. Then we get what the goats get. Did you hear it in verse 46? And these shall go away into everlasting punishment. And he referred it in 41 as well. Ye cursed into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. It's such a shame that those young women hold those signs up in that ignorance that said, going to hell and proud. People have no idea because we've stopped preaching about the dangers and the torment and the misery of hell. Oh, we're all in for heaven. And surely God would not send anybody to some place as terrible as hell. But Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the one that we're instructed to follow, the one that we are supposed to have the same doctrine that he taught his apostles, says that there is two different places. One is going to be glory. One is going to be everlasting pain. And that is hell. 
And we have, just like all the other examples I cited, we have a choice whether to obey or choose our side. We're going to choose to be a goat or we're going to choose to be a sheep. And I know a lot of people have been using that word sheep here lately uh, as a derogatory comment. But I tell you one thing, I hope to be found as a sheep, a sheep of the Lamb of God. I want to be in that number. We sing a song about that, don't we? Oh Lord, I want to be in that number. When the saints go marching in. I don't want to be cast out. And I don't want anyone to be cast out into that outer darkness. The place that's prepared for the devil and his angels. I don't want nobody's family member to suffer that because it's permanent. We learned that lesson with Lazarus and the rich man. There was a great gulf that was put there to separate. You can't come over here, Mr. Rich Man. You should have thought about that while you were here. Send somebody to save my brothers. They won't listen anyway. You're going to be where you are. Lazarus is going to be where I am. Folks, we have to choose a side. And if you've never chosen Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are choosing to be a goat. You are choosing to be the one that is cast into the place that's prepared for the devil and his angels. And I can say that with confidence because I know that I have given you the truth of the Bible today in your hearing. And you have no choice but from this day forth to be plagued by conscience and the Holy Spirit, I pray, to make a decision one way or another. Now, you have two choices. You can quell that. You can push that down. You can sear your conscience, as the Bible says, to where it doesn't bother you anymore. Rob don't know what he's talking about. He's twisting that around. That's just not true. And you can subdue that and push that down and push that down and push that down and you'll be lost. That's what the Bible says. I hate it. I, but it's the truth. So I love it. But I hate it because of the consequences. Or you can say, you know what? Rob's absolutely right. And it's time that I get off uh, my seat and get up and do something about it. Because it's simple. I just have to be willing to do it. Now, maybe we have someone here today that's never accepted Christ. I want to encourage you to do that. You've heard the word. I hope you believe it. And I hope that belief brings you to like the people did in, in Acts. Those that gladly received it were baptized and added to the church that day. Maybe you're on the video watching and you can't come forward to do that. You can call me. You can text me. You can send me a messenger and I'll get in contact with you. And if you're too far away, I'll find a preacher for you to get in contact with. Because the most important decision that you can make is to choose the side of God without delay. Because none of us are promised tomorrow. But we have faith in those who hold tomorrow. God and His Son, Jesus Christ. Now maybe you're a Christian. Maybe you have been kind of lackluster. Maybe you've got a little bit of nadab in the bayou. Not nadab in the bayou. Ananias and Sapphira in you. Maybe you're more outward than you are inward. Get that fixed. Because aren't we thankful that for whatever reason God's not striking us dead whenever we're like Ananias and Sapphira? That'd be a scary thing, wouldn't it? We have an opportunity to make amends and move forward. And let's not let that go by either. We're going to sing this hymn of invitation this morning.
where he leads. And that's all I'm asking is where the Holy Spirit leads you, follow it. You don't have to come to me if you're a Christian. You, you have the access to God through the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ bought that for you. Go to him. Make your life right. If you need to accept Christ, come and let us begin that relationship. Let me be part of that. Let all these folks here today be part of that. Whatever the case, we're going to sing Where He Leads Me, the first and the third verse of this hymn. Would you come as we sing?